Hey, Mike, why don't you come on over here? And Sarah, why don't you come on up here? I'm going to hand the mic to whoever. <laughs> you usually you go. go. Yes. Um, I wanted to, first of all, I wanted to present you guys with something. Um, it, it's uh, you and I uh, and my wife Karen, all of us, we, we had lunch, I think it was about five or six weeks ago, at a pretty cool restaurant called The Fishery here in town. And it seemed like you guys really liked it. And so uh, we got you a $100 gift certificate to go hang out at the fishery and enjoy it. I hope you will. Um, just take a, have a date night, you know. Um, you know, I, goodbyes are always super difficult for me. It's the one thing I hate the most. And it seems like in the 21 years that I've been here, it's something we have to do a lot. Just people come and go. They come and go. Um, and, and so uh, just, just a couple things. And, and uh, in, in a snapshot, I know it sounds ridiculous to say in a snapshot, but in a snapshot, Mike, maybe you can just sort of tell us about your time here. Last, I think it's 12 years, is it? I think those jeans right there say everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there we go. Wow. Yeah, these pictures, uh, they go back. They... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> a lot uh, of memories. A snapshot. My, my, my voice is a snapshot of it all right now. Uh, yeah, we, we've been here since we were 19, 20, something like that. Um, and now, I'm, now, we're, we're, now we're 26. And, and, uh, <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> uh, you know, we, we came here because our, our community was here, and uh, it's been that way ever since. And... Uh, the Osa, is Osa around here somewhere yet? Maybe, yeah. Uh, the track people from PLNU, the Point Loma Connection, and uh, they needed a backup bass player. And so I said, oh, okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh, one string at a time. Um, and f- 15 and a half years later. Has yeah. it been that long? Wow. Yeah. It's been yeah. 50, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Well, um, I think probably the, a lot of, another question people have is, like, what's, what's the next chapter? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> Didn't get to do the announcements today, so now yeah. my dreams are coming true. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really miss that, Sarah. I mean, <laughs> you just made the announcements come alive. Always on the edge of our seats. <laughs> what will she say next? That's what made it's it fun. <laughs> uh, There's a really good one sitting up. Oh. Yeah. Look at that hair. <laughs> oh, and Leanne. Yes, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And Matt Kellogg, look at that. That's yeah. funny. Somebody got attacked playing at the OB uh, Street Fair. Um, okay. <laughs> What's next? Our family is looking forward to a lot of new adventures, and we'll, we'll see you be around. We hope to come back and visit Absolutely. and yeah. hang out with y'all here. Um, but we're, you know, feeling like certain that this is the time to, to move on, but we'll still be around. We'll be close by, just not this close. Yeah. A little bit further, <laughs> yeah. So we're yeah, we'll still be we'll be close by and hanging out. Right. Don't have a firm answer to that yet, all but right. we're certain that we'll be. Well, gosh, from the bottom of our hearts, we're so thankful for all the years of awesome worship and friendship and crazy times, incredible times, sometimes really difficult times that you guys have been on the journey with us every step of the way. And just from the from the, the bottom of our hearts, we just want to thank you. For that, uh, and I'd like I'd like to send you off with with a blessing, um, just a prayer for you. So um, let me get behind you guys and, and just just pray for you. Would you please join me? Just extend your hands out to Mike and Sarah and family. Lord, thank you so much. What a great 
blessing Mike and Sarah and their beautiful family have been. Canon and poem, my Lord. And, and Father, right now, we just pray that um, uh, as they look ahead to what's next, they, they come, Lord, with so many ministry gifts, um, such loving people, caring people, uh, and they're going to just continue to bring that wherever they go. And so wherever that is, Lord, I pray, God, that they will bless that place or those people as much as they have blessed us. Thank you, Lord, for both of them. I pray that uh, you'd help Mike as he continues to teach, and Sarah, bless Mike and his coaching and all the things that they do that help so many people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. All right, you guys. Yeah, I'll just put it back there if you would. I think it was probably about maybe 12 years ago that uh, there was a guy that used to go to this church, and um, he was an awesome guy. He was just a helper bee and, and got really involved and did set up and tear down. And he always, you know, when, when you pastor a group of people, there are some people that make it a pleasure to pastor a little bit more than other people. I'm not saying that, you know, there's just some people that they, they bring this positivity, they bring a smile. Every time you see him, you're like, oh, man, that is just, that, that person just makes pastoring a pleasure. And this was one of those kind of guys. Uh, and so he, he went here for several years. And uh, one day, uh, he came up to me and he said, hey, I'm going to be moving to Las Vegas, just want to let you know, I'm going I'm to be moving. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, I, I was just, you are the kind of guy that I just love to pastor. And so about three days later, I ran into him at a coffee shop. And uh, uh, I, I thought, oh, this is a good time to sort of talk about what's next for him. And, and uh, so we sat down and, and I said, hey, can I help you like maybe find a good church in Las Vegas? I have a lot of friends over there and pastor friends over there and maybe we can get you in, in a good... And I, I used this word, I said, in a, in a kind of a good Bible-believing church. And he looked at me and he goes, well, I, I don't really care about that part so much. And so I was like, <clears throat> I, I thought, first of all, I thought we were a Bible-believing church. But anyway, um, I said, oh, oh, um, okay. And so I began to probe a little bit. And I just wanted to find out, like, where, you know, where was this guy in terms of, you know, coming to our church, and whatever, what was his belief system and everything? Well, I come to find out, and I think he really clarified it in one statement that he made. Uh, we got to talking about Jesus, and he said, yeah, I, I don't really believe that he's the Son of God, and I don't believe that he's God, and I believe that he was a great historical figure, and I, I, I think that he inspired a lot of people. And, and so, you know, have you ever that thing about assumptions you know, like, see, like, when I'm looking at you, just like I was looking at him 12 years ago, sometimes I'll look at a face and I'll see, and he was always smiling, and he was like, you know, that kind of guy. I'm thinking, you agree with me, and you agree with the Bible. And I have just come to discover, and through a lot of years, that is not necessarily the case. So we're going to begin a new series today, and uh, if we're calling it the I Am series, or the Here and Now. Um, and and it really, what, it, what it's about it is who was Jesus and what's the great I am all about? Because Jesus used the I am language. We'll kind of like get into that a little bit today. Uh, and on seven different occasions, he said, I am, and then the light, or I am the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth, the life, and I am. Um, so we're, we're going to kind of get into what is that all about. And here's, here's my goal. Here's my goal today is my goal. My goal is that when you walk out of here, you will at least have clarity not only about who Jesus is, but about what he said he was, about his own identity, who he claimed to be. And one of the things that is really important is that you know God. Like, the more that you know about God and what he does, the more that you're going to trust him. One theologian said the most important thing in your life is what you believe about God. 
Um, in, in Psalm 910, it says this, those who know your name trust in you. Maybe here's a good question. What's in a name? What is in a name? See, when it, it, obviously it requires context and it requires a person. And, and when I think of, for instance, the name of Karen. Now, Karen is my wife. I've been married to her for 38 years. And when I hear the name Karen, I immediately think of my wife. And everything that Karen is, I think of all of our history together. I think of an amazing love story between Steve and Karen. I think of the children that we had. Uh, I, I think of the kind of person that she is. And so it, it, it's the fullness of, of who Karen is. You say, what's in a name? Well, God has a name. And we're going to, again, we're going to look at that a little bit today. And if you know God, I mean, really know God, just like I know Karen and somebody that you maybe know, you say, well, I trust that person, and I know that person. I know their name, but I know something way beyond their name, okay? So today, we're going to get into the book of John. In fact, we're going to be in the book of John for, for several weeks, and so you can go ahead and turn there. Go to chapter 8, uh, but before we go there, let me tell you a little bit about John. John was one of the disciples of Jesus, and uh, John... Um, actually is referred to as uh, the beloved disciple, John the Beloved. And the reason that he was called John the Beloved is because he was always saying, Jesus loves me. In fact, John, in some ways, he was kind of like that obnoxious probably person, maybe in your family, who says, you guys all know that, Dad, I was his favorite. That was John. He, he would often say, John, the one, I, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I'm the one that Jesus loved. Now, what's, what's important about this particular book and about what we're going to talk about today is that if anybody had a front row seat to who Jesus was and to how Jesus responded to people and, and, and his conversations, his miracles, and everything that he did, if anybody had a front row seat, it was John. I mean, he was right there all the time. As a matter of fact, you know that he had 12 disciples. Obviously, one of them went really bad. But there was also three, that, if we to put it in today's context, three that were like his best friend best friends, Peter, James, and John. We call that the inner circle. And on some occasions, Jesus would leave the others behind and he would go, just you three, Peter, James, John, get over here, and I'm going to show you something, or I'm going to have you experience something that nobody else gets to experience. John was that guy. So it's really, really important. First-hand account, front row seat, he was there. Now, the reason this is so important, because as we jump in, into chapter 8, we are going to come right into the middle of a hot discussion that's going on. Have you, ever, have you ever walked into a room when two people are really arguing, and it's like kind of awkward, right? You walk in, and you're like, whoa. You know, you feel the vibe. You hear, you know, maybe it's really loud. You can see the expression on their face. Maybe somebody's got a red face. Maybe they both have a red face, and you're like, oh, my gosh. I just walked in on something, and this is not good. And what do you want to do? You just want to walk right back out. Okay, this is what's going on here. So, um, we're going we're gonna to jump right into a hot debate, an argument, and it really, it, it's all about the identity of Jesus, beginning with verse 48, and let me ask you one more question before we go there. Has anybody ever doubted your identity, like giving you a hard time about it? Has anybody ever said, I don't believe that's you? This is one of those situations. You, you made a claim. You go, well, wait a second. One time, um, I was um, coming back from Mexico. 
which I've done many, many, many times. And it was a surf trip, and I had three guys with me and surfboards on top of the car. And we were just tired, and we'd had a great time. But uh, if you've ever been at the San Ysidro you know, border, you know that sometimes you have to wait a long time. So like an hour and a half of waiting. And we, we get to, we're just coming up on the gate. And I'm gonna, a lot of you, you know what that feels like. You have one car in front of you, and you're like, oh, we're almost there. I can't wait to get there. And there's that, that uh, border agent, you know, the customs agent. And if you know anything about the custom agent, most of them don't have a whole lot of personality because it's probably not a fun job. And, and so they just, you know, so what do they do? He, he leans into the window and just great relief. I'm like, oh, in just 30 seconds, I'm out of here. He leans into the window and he says, citizenship, like they always say. And so it's like U.S., 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 U.S. And I go, okay. And I think we're ready to go. And he goes, he looks at me and he said, how do I know? I said, uh, how do you know what? He said, how do I know that you're a U.S. citizen? Now, this is, this is 20 years ago, so you didn't have to have a passport like you have today. So I pull my wallet out. I pull out my good old California license, and I hand it to him, and I go, there you go. And he looks at it, and he hands it back, and he goes, that means nothing to me. I, I go, what, what do you mean it means nothing to you? I, I go, that's, that's, a, that's a valid California driver's license. There's my picture on it right there. He goes, you could have had that fabricated for all I know. I'm like, where, where is this going? So I, I pulled out some more ID, you know, I, I have credit cards, everything. I go, look at, you know, and he goes, nah. And he begins to lecture me uh, about how I may not be me. And, and at some point, I'm like, well, and then I reach over the glove compartment and I pull out, you know, the registration and I go, hey, check this out. Registration, my car, this car. He looks at it. He goes, that means nothing to me. You could have had that fabricated for all I know. And I'm like, oh, where, where, where is this going? He goes, where were you born? And I thought, well, maybe now we're getting somewhere. I said, I was born in San Jose, California. He goes, that means nothing to me. <laughs> and, and so finally, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know if this guy got up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't know what the deal was. Finally, he gives us at least a, and I'm not kidding, at least a 15-minute lecture. I felt so sorry for the car in back of us. They're like, what is this, a drug bust or something? And, and then finally, he, he lets us go. And so let me just say this super frustrating, like, to have your identity questioned. And all I was trying to was say was, I'm a U.S. citizenship, a U.S. citizen. But in this particular situation, Jesus is trying to say something that far exceeds citizenship. In this conversation, he's not just trying to say, uh, I'm a Jew, I'm an Israelite. I mean, he, he's next leveling this thing. He goes, he's going to say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of God, and I'm God. Boom! I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that, right? But that's, that's why we jump into this, this fierce conversation. So, uh, we pick it up right here. Listen to this. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Okay. That's not nice. Now, first of all, you know, 2,000 years ago, when you hear Samaritan, you're like, oh, okay, so what is he trying to say? I want you to think because we have racial issues in our country, I want you to think of the most racist thing that somebody can say today. Got it? Okay, this exceeds that. This is, this is them. They're so angry at him, and they're saying a horribly racist thing because the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were considered to be half-breeds, and there was a whole bunch of reasons. In fact, most of the Jews, instead of going from Jerusalem to Galilee, uh, to, just to avoid it, they would go around Samaria. Like, we hate these people. We don't. So they, 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 the first thing is like, you are, you know, racial slur. And then they take it even to the next level, and they said, and you're demon-possessed. You are a devil. 
Wow, okay. <laughs> verse, uh, verse 49. And so Jesus says, I'm not possessed by a devil, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he, te- he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaim, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you? Now, this is a great question they're asking. They said, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? I want you to just catch the intensity of this conversation. Now, why, why Abraham? Because Abraham was the patriarch. He was the father of the Jews. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It didn't get any bigger than Abraham. And so they're, they're, they're thinking, are you actually comparing yourself to our father, Abraham? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And though you do not know him, I know him. Now look what Jesus said here. He says, if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. So he's going kind of both ways. Jesus is pretty ticked off that they're questioning who he is. But he says, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Now here's, here's where it gets really interesting. He saw it and was glad. Abraham had been dead for 1,600 years. And in their mind, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where, where are you going with this, Jesus? What do, you, what do you mean? They said in verse uh, 57, you're not even 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, and here's where he, he really comes big, he goes, he says, I am. At this, now, now the question is, what, why, why did they get so worked up about that statement? And we'll, we'll figure that in a second. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Jesus often said, that this wasn't the first time that they would try to stone Jesus or kill Jesus, and he said, you know what, I lay my life down. Nobody takes my life from me until I'm ready to lay it down. And one day, we know that he would lay it down. So what did Jesus mean when he said, before Abraham was born, I am. Well, the first thing that we see here is that he was saying, I'm God, I'm deity. That's why they picked up those stones. That was, called, that was blasphemy as, as far as they were concerned. And, uh, and, and so in order to really come at this, like understand this, the I am, we have to go back to the Old Testament. And we have to go back to the first time that God actually oust himself with this particular name. Now, um, one day Moses, and if you know the account in chapter 3, Moses uh, sees a burning bush and uh, he doesn't really know God yet. And God introduces himself through a burning bush. And then they have this conversation. It's a really interesting conversation. And somewhere along the conversation, God says to Moses, he goes, here's what I want you to do. Here's your, here's, here's your mission. It's a huge mission. I want you to go back to Egypt where you came from. I want you to face Pharaoh. And I want you to help the children of Israel who've been enslaved for 400 years. I want you to help them to be freed. And then a little more conversation. And then Moses has a very, very legitimate question. Because he's just been introduced to this God, and like uh, he, he says to him, um, "Who are you? I mean, what, okay, if I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, I got to tell him, you know, who's sending me." And and so God says to Moses, "All right, you ready for this? I am 
who I am. I, I don't know about you, but if I'm Moses in that moment, I'm kind of like, what? I am? Who, you can't do any better than that? That's kind of weird. You know, I, I am who I am. And this is what you were saying to the Israelites. I am has, has sent you. So I, I was looking into this a little bit, and there's a, there's a um, great scholar, Hebrew scholar. And by the way, I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I know how to do my research. And in my research, I, I, there's this guy named Chad Bird. And so he really gets into the nuances of biblical Hebrew. And so I would not even dare to try to pronounce biblical Hebrew to you. I'm still working on the English language, actually. Not always doing so well with that. But this is what he says about these actual Hebrew words. When, when God says, I am, he's first time, he says it twice. He says, the first time he's saying, I am the God who will be with you. I am the God, and he says in these particular nuances, who will be with you. I don't know about you, but that's, that's cool, that's comforting. He's saying to Moses, like eternally, always, I will be with you. And then the second time he says it, he's basically saying, I will be who I will be. All that I am, all my character, eternal. I will be who I will be. There's a lot, lot in that. Now, I'm going to take it uh, a step further. A lot, of, a lot of history goes by Moses. Let's just fast forward. Moses goes to the children of Israel. He goes to Pharaoh. They, through a whole bunch of circumstances, miracles, they make their way into the desert. And then sometime later, chapter 34 in Exodus, they land at Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai, uh, Moses goes up, have a conversation with God. He's up there for 40 days. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He comes back down, and the children of Israel have lost their mind. They have virtually broken all the commandments that he brought down from the mountain. So a little bit of a story there. God deals with that whole issue. And then after things kind of calm down a little bit, he says, okay, Moses, come back up. So Moses comes back up to Mount Sinai. This time he chisels out some stones. We're going to do the commandments all over again. And then while he's up there, Moses, and actually in chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says something. He, he said, God, I, I want to see your glory. That's a pretty big request. Now, he's, he's at this point really come to know God. In fact, the Bible says in the Old Testament that nobody ever knew God like Moses, face to face. And he says, what he's really saying is like, God, I just don't want to know your name. I want to know like about you. I want to know what you're like. Show me, show me yourself. Show me your glory. And so I want to look at, uh, I want us to look at chapter, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, I'll just read it to you, but it's in chapter 34 of Exodus and something happens here. It's so powerful. I'm going to start with um, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he, and he, and he passed in front of Moses, and he proclaiming. So this is that moment where Moses said, I want to know who you are. And God says, Okay, get ready. Here we come. Here it goes. And this is what, the, what he says about himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, now catch these words, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. God is saying, you want to know what I'm like? That's it right there. I'm a forgiving God. I'm slow to anger. I'm full of compassion. I'm gracious. 
Let me ask you a question. Is that the way that you perceive the God of the Old Testament? If you've read the Old Testament and talk to people all the time and, and people say things like, I don't know what happened, you know, but it seems like, you know, the God of the Old Testament doesn't seem so much like the God of the New Testament. Like, what happened in those 400 years between the two? Did God go into therapy? You know, did he have anger issues, you know, had to get over his anger issues? And what was that all about? So um, I'm reading this book, this book, which I would highly recommend to all of you. It's called God Has a Name by John Comer, one of the very best books I've ever read. I promise you, if you read this book, you will fall in love with God all over again. It's, it's just one of the best books I've, I've ever read. But I want to read something that, that, uh, that uh, John Comer says, speaking to this issue of how we see God, the God of the Old Testament, God of, of the New Testament. He says, for years, I thought of Yahweh. By the way, Yahweh is the name of God in, in the Hebrew, all right? I am Yahweh. Uh, for years, I thought of Yahweh in the Old Testament as parallel with the Father in the New. And like, like Jesus is a newcomer in the story, and then he goes on, he goes, he goes, that's wrong and dangerous. It leads to twisted caricature as if the father is this grumpy old warmonger in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the son who went to Berkeley and he comes home with all sorts of radical ideas about grace and love and tolerance and basically said, come on, dad, let's not kill everybody. How about I die for them instead? And then he says, this is a gross misunderstanding of the story of Scripture that the Scripture tells us. Jesus is the long-awaited human coming of Yahweh, the God on top of Mount Sinai. It's really important that you know that because you could actually think that, well, God's finally started getting nicer, but as stated right there, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate, forgiving, full of grace, you know, long-suffering. That's the God that we serve. He's always been that way. He, he's eternal. He, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. So what was, yeah, let's get back to what was Jesus, Jesus was claiming. He was claiming to be equal with God. Now, why is this so important? Because there's so many people that say just the opposite. There's so many people say, no, he never said that. We have world religions that say, well, he's just a prophet. He's nothing more than a prophet. We have other religions that say he was just the son of God, but he wasn't God. He never claimed to be deity. And I'm here to tell you, right out from a guy who was standing there probably next to Jesus, saying, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, that he actually makes that claim. And that's why it says in, in, in uh, verse John 5, verse, verse 18, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, now catch this, he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. It's, just, it's a clear affirmation of, of his deity. If you go to John chapter 14, uh, one day Jesus, he's, he's telling his disciples something that's really hard for them to hear, and he's saying, I'm going to go away. What he's really saying, I'm going to go be crucified. And he goes, but then I'm going to come back again, and you're going to see me. And they, you know, they're struggling with this. And so in, the, in this conversation, Philip, one of the other disciples, said this, because he's, he's just like, wow. What? He goes, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Philip. You know what? Just show us the Father... And that'll, that, we'll be good with that. And Jesus says this. He goes, Philip, have you not been with me so long to not know that I and the Father are one? That if you've actually seen me, you've actually seen the Father? Claim to deity. And again, what's the response? And, and this is just two chapters later when they're, they're ready to pick up stones. They're going to kill him again. 
All right? And, 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 it says, and so Jesus defends himself this time. Apparently, as they're, getting, they're picking the stones up, they're ready to unload on him. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, before you throw those stones, what one of the miracles or what are, what, what are the good works that I do, are you going to kill me for? And this, is, this, this was their response to him. He said, we're, we're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim. What is it? What is it he claims? I want to hear from your lips. Okay, good. Good, you said it. Claiming to be God. Now, again, why is that so important? Because so many people that are part of your world, and maybe you, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't believe he's God. Well, deal with that, okay? I didn't say it. God said it. And he said it over and over and over again. He claimed to be God. But not only does he claim to be God, uh, as he was talking about who he was, we talk about the fullness of God. In other words, he was talking about, I am God, but I want to, I want to reveal myself to you. Paul, Paul caught this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. He says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, like everything that God is, the totality of God, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on this earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul got it. He's God, God, God. God in the fullness, everything that, that, that God is. So let me ask you this. Jesus, what is he to you? Is he simply a great teacher, a great moralist, a revolutionary, um, a miracle worker? What is Jesus to you? Here's what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Logos. You have to get into some Greek there, but he's basically saying Jesus is God. and the fullness of God. And he's everything that God is. What is he to you? That is the most important question. As a theologian said again, what you think about God is the most important thing in your life. Because if you think that Jesus is less than God, that's how you're going to respond to him. That's how you're, the kind of relationship you're going to have with him. But if you understand that Jesus is deity, that he is God, he said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen God. It's going to change everything. God is eternal. That's the fullness of God. He says in, in, in Psalm 39, 7, But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you, who are eternal. You know, in a, in a world of uncertainty, how many of you feel a little instability in our country today? Anybody feel that way a little bit? You know? Everybody feel like culture is just changing at such radical speed, it kind of scares you at times? So here's the beauty of the eternal God who doesn't change. That, that he's reliable when life is unreliable. That he's constant when life is full of changes. That he's available when everybody else in my life may not be there for me. And that he's, long-term, that he's in a long-term investment in my life. I mean, he's there for me. He's not going anywhere. He says, I've got your back. I'm always going to be the same. And the I am, as he said to Moses, I am with you. He is with you. Finally, I am signifies that God has come near to us through Jesus. I think that's the greatest thing of all. You know, he could have never entered into the world and just kind of continued to speak to us through burning bushes and through appearances of angels and miracles here and there. But he said, no, I'm going to come down. I'm going to make the ultimate sacrifice. I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to live life in a way where I experience in the flesh. I'm going to know what it's like to have a really bad day. I'm going to know what it's like to be rejected. I know, I'm going to know all the human experiences that you will have so I can identify with you. That's why when the angel came to Mary, he said, his name shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He came near to us. 
He got, in, he got involved. He got down and dirty, kind of where, where we lived and experiences our life. So what, does, what kind of response does that do inside of you? Does that evoke any kind of emotions, any kind of thoughts, any kind of feelings? Or is he just still a cool guy, prophet, really wise, a bit of a revolutionary? I heard he did miracles because he really, really, he came into this world so you could know him. You could identify with him. Notice the two different responses here that people have. In John 8.59, at this, they picked up stones and said, we're just, we're just, we just want to kill you. Make us so mad, quit saying you're God. And in, in John 8.30, there's another side. It says, even as he spoke, many, not just a few, many believed. I mean, when they heard those words, something just penetrated their heart. And they said, he's God. He is who he says he is. What about you? In John 8, 31, 32, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. And this is the important thing. He says, if you do that, you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In our English language, the word belief or believe is so weak compared to the, what it is from, from a biblical standpoint. In the Bible, if you believed, it just didn't mean, mean that you were given mental assent to, yeah, I, like so many Americans today, you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I, I believe in God. But it means nothing. There's no investment. It's just like, yeah. But that's as far as it goes. When Jesus said this, he says, if, if you believe in me, if you hold my teachings, if you follow me, then and then only will you know the truth. And that truth, my friends, that truth will set you free. It'll set something in motion in your life that will change your life forever. Let's bow your heads for a moment, if you would. Maybe you're like my friend 12 years ago, and you've never really been convinced, or for whatever reason, you've kind of held out on the Jesus being God thing. And you're, you're here today, and you've realized as you have heard the words from somebody who was there who gave a first-hand account that indeed you have to say he did claim to be God, but the question is, do you believe it? And if you believe it, how will that impact your life? How will that change anything? How will that change what you believe? I think maybe for some of you, you need to come back to God. For some of you, maybe you've never really known God in that way, the great I am. And to, this morning is the time. And God's speaking to you right now. And he says, I want to know you. That's why I came into this world, to die for you, because I love you and I care for you. And if you will follow my ways, and if you'll believe, not just like I believe God, but if you'll have a relationship with me, I can change your life. And if that's you and you're here this morning, I'd like you to do something. A lot of times I say raise a hand, but I'd like you to kind of take, do something different. I'd like you to take... One of our Connect cards, you'll find it in these seats underneath you if you look around a little bit. Uh, and just write on there, I believe, and write your name if you're willing to do that. Because I'd just like to be able to pray with you and know that you made a response towards Christ and help you in your journey if I possibly can. All right, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this, this time this morning. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you boldly claimed who you were. There is no mistaking it. We, there's no way we mis can misconstrue that, Lord. Thank you that you are the great I am who will always be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. All right. And I hope some of you will, will do that, fill those cards out, drop them off either with myself or you can drop them off at the guest services table. Acai bowls are out there. Enjoy. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week.